You're listening to the Curiosity Mishmash Podcast, an adventure for your mind with no topics off limits. Sometimes serious, often funny, and always engaging. Your host is a curiosity fanatic. She's also a business and human factors consultant, coach, and pilot who uses her own insatiable curiosity to entertain, inspire, and educate. Pop in your earbuds, crank up your stereo, and let's get ready to dig in. Here's your host, Chelsea Stein Engberg. Hello, and welcome back to Curiosity Mishmash Podcast. It's episode two. We've made it to the second full episode. Super excited to have you here. And it's October. I thought it would be fun to maybe do a Halloween episode and not in the way that you might think. Um, Halloween has a whole lot of aspects to it that I think either we don't really look at or that we might not even know about. I know that I didn't know about half the stuff that I researched for this episode. So I just kind of got curious, started looking around at things and thought that uh, I would share with you what I found. So on today's episode, we're going to hit three main topics. The first will be um, a little bit about the history of trick-or-treating and where that all came from. And then we'll delve into more of the treat side of things and look at a little bit of the history around some of the candy that we know and love. And then also it's some candy that we might not know and or might not love. Some of it's pretty creepy. Um, And lastly, I decided to just dig in and see what kind of things were happening out there that I've never heard of before, but that people are doing to celebrate um, the holiday or something around the holiday. And I found some really cool stuff. So I hope you enjoy it. So let's jump right in to looking at some of the more curious aspects of the history of trick-or-treating. Just to touch on kind of where Halloween originated, it was originally actually a Celtic holiday. It was not called Halloween. It's not the Halloween that we know today, but it started out as a Celtic holiday over 2,000 years ago called Samhain. It was a Gaelic festival, and it marked the end of the harvest season and ushered in the winter. And so Basically, we all know winter is the darkest half of the year. And at that time, people believed that around Samhain, the barriers between the physical and the spiritual worlds overlapped or some things said the veil would break down. So you can guess what that meant. They believed that spirits were walking among the living. And they celebrated that. People would wear costumes. They dress as ghosts or spirits. They'd hold bonfires, that sort of thing. So a fun fact around the bonfires that I read was it's believed that where bats have come into being just a symbol of Halloween today may have actually started back in Samhain because they'd have these big bonfires. And of course, the bonfires attracted the insects. And then, of course, the insects would attract the bats because the bats were hungry. Hence, there were bats around all the time. Um, Unfortunately, over time, there's been a lot of folklore, some of it not so great about bats, but some positive. And nowadays, bats typically aren't looked at as a spooky thing as they shouldn't be because bats are cool and awesome, but (laughs) really amazing bug eaters. But um, that is where they think that bats kind of came into play around what we know today as Halloween is from the bonfires of Samhain. So fast forward to 1000 AD, and the church designated November 1st as All Saints Day. And the day before that became All Hallows' Eve. And they started to incorporate some of the traditions from Samhain into those celebrations. Uh, For All Hallows' Eve in England, they'd go door-to-door, and this was called souling. And the reason it was called souling was they'd go door-to-door begging for things like food, 
money, ale. But when they'd beg and, re- and get those things in return, they'd offer to pray or sing for the dead relatives of the homeowners of the house that they were begging at. So that was called souling. In Scotland and Ireland, they had something called guising that was somewhat similar to souling. They'd dress up in costume and they would go door to door. But in return for offerings, they didn't sing or pray for dead relatives, but instead they entertained. So they would sing or they might do some type of poetry or a dance or tell a joke or do some type of trick. And in return, they'd receive things like coins and food and and whatnot. So you can see with guising that costumes came into play again, just like they were starting to be used during Samhain. But this is sort of where like the trick or treat thing came into play, though that term was nowhere um, around at that time for sure. So we'll fast forward again and we'll get to the United States. And in the early 20th century, the Irish and Scots that had moved to the United States and immigrated here actually revived some of the old world traditions, including souling and guising. So that sort of planted the seed for what we now know today is going out and trick-or-treating. By the 1920s, the U.S. had somehow shifted from the souling and guising to more like pranking, for lack of a better term. became It just became the preferred Halloween pastime, it appears. And I, I don't know why that is. I looked around a bunch and couldn't really figure it out. But it definitely be, became the focus of Halloween. Then the Great Depression hit. And that just made the pranking worse. And unfortunately, the pranking got severe enough that it wasn't just fun pranks anymore. There was vandalism, assaults, violence. And though there's no clear definition of how it the switch happened from that vandalism and assault and violence and terrible stuff to what we know as trick-or-treating today, there are a number of resources that talk about theories where basically the people in America just got sick and tired of this behavior on Halloween. And so they really tried to adopt the trick or treat that we know now to curtail the less favorable behavior that they were seeing. Fast forward again, not too far forward, and the U.S. found themselves in World War II. And during World War II, there were lots of different types of rationing going on and sugar rationing was one of those rations. So that kind of cut things short for Halloween, of course, but post-war all the rationing disappeared and the holiday just boomed. Candy companies saw it and dove on it and capitalized on it and Halloween just began to grow. Um, They just pounced. Nowadays, the amount of money spent on Halloween is pretty amazing. Just in the U.S. alone in 2019, $2.5 billion were spent just on Halloween candy. Now, that's just the U.S. There are a ton of countries that celebrate Halloween like we do here in the United States. But unfortunately, I could not find any statistics that kind of compiled everybody together. So I just wanted to share in 2018 in the United States, the estimated total spend on Halloween was $9 billion dollars. Just over $3 billion on costumes, just under $3 billion on decorations, and just over $2.5 billion on candy. That's a ton of money. So this holiday has really grown into a massive, massive holiday and moneymaker for companies all over the world. Since we're talking candy, let's dive into a little bit more of the history of of what the treats were with Halloween and where we got to where we are now, as well as some of the crazy things we do have now. Um, So 
back in the day during the souling and the guising, during souling, they had soul cakes and they would actually go out and beg for, they were baked goods and there were these small cakes called soul cakes. But of course they were also begging for money, ale, any type of food or treat or money, obviously coins back in the day. When we fast forwarded into the U.S. discussion, there was a time where during the rationing and things, Halloween was sort of already established and happening here in the States, but they didn't have all the candy and things that we know now. Um, So they had more wholesome treats like apples and things like that. I did find a couple of sources just very sparingly discussing that bobbing for apples may have actually developed during that time during World War II, though I could not find anything definitive around that sort of makes sense. But then once World War II was over and, you know, the candy companies really started to to see what they could do with it, it just blew up. Prior to World War II, the fun size candy bar that we now know and love started to appear. So in the 1930s, the Curtis Candy Company came out with Buddy or Junior sizes. And these were Baby Ruth and Butterfingers, and they were the smaller sizes. In 1939, Hershey follows suit, and they actually came out with Hershey's Miniatures, which are still out there today, and we know we can get them for all the major holidays, and they're just out there even when there's not a holiday. So Hershey Miniatures did stick, which is pretty cool. Mars was the last one to the game, and they were late. They came out with Juniors in 1960-ish, around there in the early 60s, but soon after halted the Juniors and switched to the term Fun Size in 1968. And oh my gosh, it was a branding bonanza. Huge hit. They were so successful that other companies started to see this and changed their terminology to fun size as well. Of course, this added to a little bit of rift between some of the companies, and Mars did attempt to sue the Curtis Candy Company over the usage of the term fun size, but they lost the case. But a fun fact around that is Mars actually still holds the trademark on the phrase fun size. So now that we're kind of into the more modern candy world, I decided it might be fun to go out and see what funky, different, interesting candies are out there that we don't see regularly in the trick-or-treating world, but that are available if you go snooping online. So I made a list of a couple of the interesting ones that I found. The first one that I found that I thought was pretty cool, um, they're creepy but cool, are Creature Eye Lollipops. And these are lollipops that are based on reptile eyes and oh my gosh they look super real they're fantastic and what they basically do is take an image and make a 2d edible image of the eyeball then they put it inside the 3d globe of the lollipop so that it appears as a 3d eyeball and then they make it a bunch of different flavors you know blackberry green apple strawberry that kind of stuff anyway they're fantastic they're super creepy looking. They're very realistic looking, uh, and they they just look like they'd be a great addition if you're handing out candy for uh, trick or treating in one of these upcoming Halloween's. Not sure about this year since it's 2020 and COVID and all of that. But for future reference, Creature Eye lollipops, and they're available in a couple different locations online. Then, because I was looking at lollipops, of course, the next thing that popped up were these kind of creepy crawly lollipops. If you're over 21 and you know anything about tequila, you know about the worm in the bottle and probably have seen the tequila lollipops with the worm in them, right? They're pretty common. 
Well, they actually have a whole line of those that are not alcohol related and they come in flavors depending on what's inside of them. There's banana and apple and blueberry and watermelon and there's a bunch of flavors. But what's inside is the real kicker and they are real on the inside. There's ants, you can get scorpions, crickets and mealworms. And I snooped around a little bit. From what I can tell, kids love them. What I can also tell is it seems like adults like them, although some of the flavors seem like they're not that great. And I don't mean flavor of the bug. I mean flavor of the actual candy. But um, they they seem like they're a huge hit. I did read one review where apparently this person's kids kept taking them to school and showing them and giving them out on the playground. And they kept getting phone calls from the school asking for their kids to not bring insect candy to the playground anymore, which I found entertaining. Um, but a pretty cool idea if you want something a little different for a party or office or to, to hand out again to trick-or-treaters. The next one on my list, I'm shocked that I've never seen before. Um, It's fantastic, super realistic, probably not something you would give out to trick-or-treaters, but um, these are candy urine samples, and they're urine sample cups with the label on the outside and the sterile sticker that goes over the lid, so when you twist it open for the first time, it breaks, um, with lemon-flavored liquid candy on the inside. They look super realistic. All the reviews were just raving about them. They're hysterical. They are pricey. So, you know, I think this would be more for like uh, an adult party or jokes at a at a office party or something like that. But um, highly recommend checking them out. And they are available on Amazon and they're just, they're fantastic. There were a bunch of other interesting things. You know, I found brain flavored zombie mints. I have no idea what that means. I could not. And I spent probably an hour trying to find someone describing what brain flavor is. Um, Could not find them anywhere, though. um, They they did say that you would have an autopsy fresh mouth if you you use these brain flavored zombie mints. Um, Funny. The kids would probably like them. I did find some gumballs out there that were super gross. One was a cat hairball gumball and the other one is a meatball gumball. And they seriously look like what they are called. Hairballs and meatballs. They're textured. They're all different colors, the way that you would expect something like that to look. Um, But in the reviews, everyone said even though they're super gross looking, they actually taste great and they do taste like straight gumball. So uh, if you're looking for something funny and a little different, those are a good one. The, The last one that I found that... I, not my thing, but I thought they were funny. The idea was funny is sour flush candy toilets. And these are available on Amazon as well as a bunch of other sites that sell candy. But if you can imagine, they're small little plastic toilets and they're, you know, brightly colored, pink, blue, purple, and they come with two little candy plungers. And the thought behind this is you pop open the toilet lid you lick your plunger, you stick it in the toilet, which is full of sour sugar, and then you pull the plunger out and you lick the sugar off the plunger, and that's how you eat this candy. Pretty funny. What I found most entertaining about this is the, you know, on Amazon, you got to read the reviews. You never know what you're going to find. They got, I think they had four and a half stars, and the reviews were hysterical. And actually, one person asked if they were the quote, right size for a Barbie doll once they're empty, and somebody responded with a, a yes in all caps. 
This is exactly what my three-year-old uses the empty ones for, which was fantastic. Um, Another person actually said that she used it for her 21st birthday cake because her birthday theme was Drunken Barbie. And so they took this toilet, filled it with gold sprinkles, and put it on top of the cake. So um, they pretty funny. Apparently kids love them, but also I'll tell you if you do decide to go down this route, a lot of the reviews said do not let kids have them inside. Apparently the lid of the toilet does not seat and and close completely, so you do end up with that that sour sugar everywhere that's probably super sticky and a pain to get out of carpet and things like that, so keep them outside. There were two other um, candies that I wanted to mention. These are not on the, the ghoulie goblin side of things, but they are different than what we get to see in the United States, but they sounded interesting to me. Um, the first, Japan, really does a lot of cool stuff with wasabi, and I found wasabi gumballs and wasabi Kit Kats, and that just kind of made me think that would be really cool to try. I tried to find a way to get the wasabi Kit Kats because, I don't know, it just sounds really interesting. Uh, hard to find, though, here to get them here in the U.S., and I don't know if that's because of COVID or just because they're not easily available to be shipped here, but... Um, they are they are out there and they sound pretty interesting. The other one that I have seen before, but I haven't tried is salsa getty. And this is a Mexican candy. Uh, it's sweet and spicy and sour, kind of all wrapped into one. If you can imagine licorice like noodles, and they're usually, I think there's three different flavors, watermelon, pineapple, and mango, I believe. And then they're dusted with a tamarind flavoring. So you do get all that sweet, spicy, and sour. Um, I have talked to friends who swear this stuff is amazing if you get it in Mexico and it's terrible if you get it here in the U.S. I haven't tried it, but um, it sounds it sounds good. I like tamarind, so I, I need to go get my hands on some of this and try that as well. So that's kind of the treat, where it started, how they got to fun size and some of the more interesting things that are out there now. All right, and for the last part of this episode, I wanted to get into some really cool events that I found that are out there happening. Some of them you might have heard of before. There are a couple in here that I literally had zero idea existed, and I now have these locations on my list because I want to go visit and see these things in action. So um, the first cool event that's happening nowadays are witches and warlocks paddles. And I know this has kind of been all over social media recently. Um, up in Portland, a, a bunch of witches hop on paddle boards dressed with their with their pointy hats and capes and things, and they go out and paddle around on the river. Um, but that actually apparently started in Morro Bay at the Morro Bay Harbor in California. And hundreds of witches and warlocks take to the water there, both on paddle boards and kayaks, and they go paddle the harbor. And the pictures are amazing. If you haven't seen the pictures and video, highly recommend checking it out. And what it appears is all of these places that are doing this now in Morro Bay, um, up in Portland, I know this is also happening in Florida, they use this as a way to raise funds for local charities, which is super cool. So there's the Witches and Warlocks paddle. And sticking with the water theme, the next thing that I found that I totally have to go check out in New Hampshire, pumpkin boat racing. That is right. You heard me correctly. Pumpkin boat racing. And this started apparently in 2000. And there's a a man there named Jim... I want to say it's Boschman. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Pumpkin fanatic, founder of the New Hampshire Giant Pumpkin Growers Association. He had this idea. 
So the first time they had it, about 500 people came out, and now it's a two-day event. Tons of people come to see it. And the way that it works is this. These giant pumpkins come, and they go for a weigh-in. And these things are coming in, lots of them, over 1,000 pounds. These are huge pumpkins. Once they're weighed in, they cut them open, and they carve them into something that sort of resembles a boat. The seeds that all come out go back to the farmer that grows these pumpkins so that he can grow the next crop for next year's boat racing, of course. And once they're cut in half, the seeds go to the farmer. These are then decorated, super elaborate boat pumpkin decorations. Once that happens, they take them down to the river, put them in for the race, and off they go. From what I can tell, it looks like there's a number of ways they... they rate these guys not just on who wins the actual race but boat decorations and costumes and things like that but it just looks like a great event a super fun time to get outside I don't know if it's happening this year because of COVID but um, if you're ever in the New Hampshire area in October I haven't been but I'd recommend checking it out looks like fun And then I found another race. So there was pumpkin boat racing. And then I found coffin races. And that one definitely was like, okay, I got to click on that. Yes, you heard me right. Coffin races. To be exact, it's the Emma Crawford coffin races. And this is in Manitou Springs, Colorado. And they do actually race coffins. But to talk about the coffin race, we have to back up a little bit and talk about who Emma Crawford is. So Emma Crawford, back in the 1800s, lived in Massachusetts with her parents, and she contracted tuberculosis. So they did as much as they could for her in Massachusetts and decided to move to Colorado because there were beliefs that the springs there could really help heal people with tuberculosis and other ailments. So they moved there. And she lived for about two more years before she passed away. And while she was living in Colorado, she became fixated with nature and just the wilds and really fell in love with a mountain just behind the town. She was so in love with the nature and the mountain and all of that that she asked that when she did pass away that she be buried on the top of the mountain. So after about two years of living there, she did unfortunately pass away and dozens of pallbearers took turns carrying her coffin up the mountain where she remained buried for decades before a massive storm hit, dislodged her casket and sent it hurtling down the mountain back to the town. There's your first coffin race. So that's who Emma Crawford was. That's how the coffin races came to be. And in 1994, the first actual coffin race took place. The teams are made up of five members. There's four runners who actually run the coffin along that uphill racetrack that they use through town. And the fifth member is the corpse of Emma. And there's a lot of different ways you can win here. Of course, the fastest time through the course, but there's also prizes for best entourage, best Emma, best coffin. And I will tell you, if you go check out the videos and photos from these events, the the work and the creativity that goes into these things, it's amazing. And so this is definitely also on my list to go visit Colorado for the coffin races one October. I do know that this has been canceled because of COVID for this year, but keep an eye out for 2021 if you're interested. And then the last one that I found that was looked super fun, I think it's a great way to keep the town and community tied together, just, you know, celebrating fun stuff, is the Skeletons Are Alive event in Northville, Michigan. 
And here the, the city takes over a hundred skeletons and places them all over the town. And they're in different positions and recreating famous TV and movie scenes. And it just, it looks like so, so much fun. And it is happening this year um, in 2020. I got online, started to look around. They have a list of a bunch of the skeleton sculptures that are going to be out this year and you can sponsor. So it looks like local community members and local companies actually sponsor some of these, which is great. And I just grabbed a couple um, titles that made me smile. So there's arm wrestling skeletons. And I did a little digging on that one. In past photos, it looks like it's a skeleton in University of Michigan gear, arm wrestling, a skeleton in Michigan State gear, which is pretty funny. CrossFit skeleton, fireman retrieving a cat, Marty McFly, toboggan run, uh, a mountain climber skeleton, model and photographer, a uh, biker drinking water. These are just a couple. I think there were 120 or so on the list. So pretty cool idea. And then they're just all over town and you can sit outside and eat at the restaurants downtown and enjoy all these really great, funny, goofy skeletons that are set up all over the place for, for Halloween. So pretty cool idea. I did want to just touch on, I know Halloween is different this year. Um, trick or treating isn't really happening. We have to stay safe. We're, you know, staying in our, in our homes with our families and not going out and going door to door. And that's a bummer. But I will say that there are some really interesting things popping up all over the country to try and help celebrate and give different ways to do that still and let the kids have fun and the big kids. So there's a couple of things. Halloween drive throughs are popping up all around the country. And this is really where they set up some type, there's a couple different, some are spooky, scary, kind of haunted house type stuff. Some's more fun, artsy things, just less, less freak you out, more maybe kid based. Um, and you stay in your car and you drive through and it's usually 20 to 30 minutes. If your windows are down, most of these require you to wear your mask, but if they're up, you can just be mask free and enjoy the, the visuals. A lot of them have stages with art displays and, and people doing different things. And it's pretty cool. I did see one. It looks like all of them have candy in one way or another. There was one that I saw in Los Angeles where they were literally using like almost like a snow shovel and just shoveling a pile of candy in the back window of every car they drove through, which was pretty funny. So that's one thing to look at. Also, it looks like there's a number of, of just neighborhoods deciding to put together some something similar. You don't pay to get into these but you know a bunch of neighbors get together and decorate and you get to drive through and enjoy it it's sort of like the halloween version of of christmas light watching which is a, a cool thing i know it's not the same thing as our normal halloween celebration and trick-or-treating traditions but um, people are making the best of it and that's fantastic the last thing that I haven't really seen anywhere, but I feel like it should be happening. Um, I think that there should be doing drive-in movies with Halloween movies. So much fun doing stuff like Beetlejuice or Hocus Pocus or Ghostbusters, things like that. Um, and if you decide you want to do something a little different, you could always put a projector and a sheet or a screen up in your backyard and and do it that way. Get some fresh air and watch a fun Halloween movie in the backyard. Just an idea. So that is Halloween in a nutshell of all the curious, ridiculous things that I said, I don't know anything about this. So I'm going to dig in and, and see what I find. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for joining me. I hope you have a wonderful Halloween. Stay safe. And I look forward to seeing you next time. 
Thanks for listening to the Curiosity Mishmash podcast. We're so glad you're here. Check out the show notes, catch up on past episodes you may have missed, and subscribe to keep up with new ones. Have a topic idea or question? We want to hear it. Email us at idea at curiositymishmash.com. You can also connect with Chelsea on Instagram at Chelsea Ingberg or her website at www.aviatrix.guru. Until next time, stay curious.